welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of energy. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm here in Zoomland with Jason Moore, founder and CEO of Elite HRV. Jason, welcome to the show. You're not visiting from Houston today because we'd probably be together. Where are you sitting at today in front of your computer? Yeah. Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm from Houston and grew up there and spent many, many years there, but I'm living in Asheville, North Carolina now. North Carolina. How is North Carolina right now? It's raining, but... Same here. Okay. (laughs) There you go. So it's a little more mountainous. I'm in Western North Carolina, so it's kind of at the you know, bottom of the Appalachians a bit. And so kind of different than the Houston landscape, but yeah, it's not bad. Can't complain. Yeah. And how long have you been living there for? Since 2017, early 2017. So coming up on five years now. Okay. So if you include the pandemic, you've really only got to experience like two years there. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not a bad place to ride out a pandemic. There's a lot of access to, you know, hiking and nature and stuff like that to kind of get outside. But no, that's, that's cool. Actually, it's interesting. My wife and I have talked about getting to the Carolinas. She recently invested some real estate out there, never visited, but I've heard so many great things. And someone like yourself, who's from Houston probably went there and certainly enjoys the different in climate and terrain. And if you're an outdoor enthusiast, obviously there's probably a lot more to do there than run around the Houston feeder streets and I-10. So I commend you for that. As someone who grew up in British Columbia, I can appreciate the outdoors. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I grew up riding my bike on Buffalo Bayou and like, yeah. you know, doing all that good stuff. So yeah, it's a little change of pace. Yeah. No, good for you. And we can get into the details a little later on, but it was that because of your career, you made a decision to go over there, you know, perhaps spouse or, I mean, what made you go over there? Yeah. Interestingly, yeah, it's a bit of a story. I'll just do the one-two punch and then we can dig into whatever you want. But sure, my wife and I got married in, at the end of 2014. And then in 2015 is when we left the oil and gas industry. And she and I did like a little bit of world tour travel to nice. kind of recharge our batteries and get a little like life experience. And through that, we ended up coming through Asheville and really liking it. And decided to spend a little time here. And that little time turned into five years. <laughs> wow. Sounds like that's a common occurrence, especially, you know, I've heard a lot of times folks will go on a little bit of a vacation and whether it's to recharge batteries, whether that's a vision quest or what have you, it ultimately results in people making a full move and saying, wow, this is actually amazing. So good for you. Yeah. I commend you. I commend you for exiting the oil and gas space. Now you're back into oil and gas doing a podcast. So there you go. It's one of those things. It's just like the gift that keeps giving. So in a big shout out to Sean Six, he's the one who got us connected. 
I'm curious, how do you know Sean? Yeah, so Sean was my neighbor when I was working in Houston at Marathon Oil, and he just lived a couple of doors down and we connected as neighbors. And then we're both in the kind of tech side of the business. So we connected over that piece and yeah, just stayed in touch. And then, you know, he's got a couple of young children and now I've got a young daughter myself. And so we just kind of continue to have things in common yeah. We're also both into health and wellness and fitness and other things too. So mm-hmm. that is really interesting. And actually how I know Sean is I was at Oilcom and I was there actually recording a podcast with a sports illustrated writer who they had on to talk about. He was sort of a guest speaker. Anyway, before we did that, I was walking around the exhibit and I came up on the company who Sean used to work with. They had a booth and you know got talking just kind of getting to know who's who and what's what and i see he was drinking alpha brain and nice i said oh alpha brain like are you a big fan and like you know we start talking and he's like oh yeah you know I, this and that and keto and and of course you know again like similar to you very into health and fitness and so you know he started you know throwing out some jargon that i was totally in line with, and I knew exactly what he was talking about. I said, Oh, so what do you do? And do you fast? And, you know, of course we started talking about all that stuff, not really talking about, you know, the company he was working with, but, you know, we hit it off there. And similarly, we just, yeah, have a lot of things in common and have always kept in touch. And I'd asked him, I said, well, it sounds like you run around with some really interesting folks and, you know, being in the podcast space, I'm always looking for folks to interview. And so he said, Oh, if you're into health and fitness and, you know, cause we were talking about HRV and this and that, and he said, you got to check out my buddy's company. And so that's what led us to today. So yeah, Sean is the matchmaker. And so big shout out to Sean. He, he's a gentleman at the very least. Oh yeah. Great guy. Super knowledgeable. One of those people that can like really dig into the details oh, of stuff. He goes deep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a chance to, because he was getting his captain license for operating a boat. And so this summer he's like, Hey, why don't you come out? We can hang out and catch up. And I need to get the hours in on my boat. So yeah, I ripped down to Galveston and hopped on a boat and he you know gave me the Galveston tour and we talked about all sorts of good stuff. And yeah, he's the type of person here. He'll just keep, you know, digging and digging and digging until he can find like the pure origin of whatever it is he's interested in. And so again, super knowledgeable and, and just an overall great guy. Just love hanging out totally. with him. Yeah. But before we keep going, I do need to highlight some fascinating technology provided by our sponsor, Technip FMC. Technip FMC has recently deployed an app designed for their onshore customers. This app can be used on all mobile devices and can be used for easily accessing product documentation, support resources, maintenance manuals, you know, safety instructions. Everything you need to access can be dealt through on your phone, through the app. And also too, for folks out there, if you're out on a rig site or any type of project and you're not sure who to talk to or who to contact, you can go into the apps catalog under contact us or sections. You can find all sorts of information on who to contact for that job. So again, check them out. It's called their Surface app. You can download it by scanning any QR code that you see from TechNames marketing material or visit the link in the show notes, which I've provided for everybody. And We are now doing our monthly happy hours here in Houston. So check out OGGN.com for more details on all our events. Jason, so before we keep going on your story and everything else, I'm always interested and I like to ask some questions that kind of get the juices flowing. But so over the last few years or even recently, and it doesn't have to be related to the pandemic or not, but 
what core belief have you changed your mind on over the last couple of years? This can be personal, this can be business related, really anything that comes to mind. Is there anything that like you've just said, you know what, this has kind of shifted the North Star? Yeah. Any does anything come to mind? Yeah. Wow. That's a nice deep warm-up question right there. So I would say, you know, one of the big fundamental changes for me over the years has been. I used to try to be the smartest person in the room. Mm. And now I really appreciate when I'm the dumbest person in the room. And to me, it's sort of just a nice way to calibrate that I'm spending my time around high caliber people that can elevate me and that I can learn from and that, you know, we can do really cool things together. Whereas if I'm trying to always be the smartest person in the room, then, you know, why am I there basically? Right. Yeah. Like, and so I don't know if it was necessarily that conscious before that I wasn't like saying to myself, I want to be the smartest person in the room. It sure. was just, it was partially how I was presenting myself. Like instead of asking questions, always asserting my opinion or always commenting on everything because I thought that's what you needed to do to kind of like, you know, get noticed or whatever. And so I don't know, that's kind of maybe going really deep on the philosophical side of things for you, but no, that was the total intent of the question. And no, it's like right out of the gate. It's like, oh, wow. Okay. This is intense. But again, I think it just, it tells a lot about a person and it gets you to open up, but no, I find that fascinating. I recently interviewed the vice president of exploration for Novo Exploration. And that was an sort of partially sort of the stuff that he had talked about was, you know, within their organization, he always feels like the dumbest guy in the room and he just thrives off of it because, you know, typically he's, you know, growing up and just, he again was, you could tell he's a high performing individual. And when he said, you know, one thing that makes Novo exploration interesting is I always feel like the idiot in the room. And if you're not like, you know what I mean? And so it's, it's important if you want to continue to have a growth mindset and you keep learning yeah, if you surround yourself with people who, you know, for lack of better terms, are just not as up to speed as you are, then yeah, you kind of limit your growth. So I think that's an interesting observation on your part. And I'm curious what provided the level of self-awareness for you to understand. And I would say perhaps there's some of the ego involved in that too, that you had to dissolve, but how did that shift or what made you think, you know what, like, I think I need to just kind of shift my focus and maybe not always try and be the smartest person in the room. When did that occur to you? Yeah, it's a good question. I would say it's only in the recent, you know, past couple of years that I've really consciously become aware of it. I've been really lucky in many regards in my life, but I've had really great people around me that have kind of helped teach me a little bit more about how to think about my relationships and my trajectory and all that type of stuff. And, you know, particularly shout out to my wife who is just such a grounded person. And I noticed for her, she also has roots in the oil and gas industry and her family. She's a second gen oil and gas family member. And anyways, she doesn't have ego attached to anything and she's hyper intelligent and gets so much done and gets a lot of recognition for it as well. And I just learned a lot from witnessing her as well as other peers that I've worked with and things like that. So it's been, I've been very lucky to be exposed to that. And it took like my thick head several years for it to kind of soak in, but yeah, it's been, you know, part of it too, is as you get a little bit more self-confident, 
hopefully over time from learning and gaining experience, you realize you don't have to arm wave as much mm. to, you know, be recognized for your contributions and things like that. So and it was probably also just a shift in being lack of experience to a little bit more experience over time. Yeah, no, that's fascinating stuff. And I appreciate you mentioning your wife because it's something that my wife as well keeps me really humbled and grounded. And, you know, when I think I'm drinking my own Kool-Aid, she she makes me realize that that's not what life's all about. And so I can, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, you know, as we grow older, you know, I can certainly identify with you on the confidence front. And as we gain more experience, yeah, we just sort of draw different conclusions on perhaps, you know, better ways to view things, different perspectives. And, you know, I like that analogy you mentioned with the arm waving, because yeah, as you're growing up, you're trying to, you know, essentially we're trying to prove ourselves each and every single day to gain credibility amongst whatever group of individuals we're trying to gain credibility from. But yeah, eventually the actions speak for themselves. And so, yeah, it's not necessarily like the you know kid in the playground. Look what I can do. Look what I can do. Right. <laughs> you know exactly. I mean? yep. Yeah. So no, that's super cool. Something a little less intense for you, I'll ask. On a Friday night for you, if you had unlimited resources, all the money in the world, you could travel, say time, or you could, you know, essentially teleport yourself to any part of the world. What would the ideal Friday night look like to you? Assuming business was good and you could just do whatever you wanted without any limitations, what would that look like? Yeah, that's a good question. I actually was ironically thinking about this like this morning. No way. Because yeah, I even asked my wife if you could like teleport anywhere, you know, where would it be? And, you know, I realized in that moment, it's all about perspective of what you're doing in the moment. So I've got a two and a half year old toddler and, you know, a business that's growing quite a bit and taking a ton of my time. And so stress levels have been fairly high recently. And (laughs) so my ideal Friday looks pretty much like a quiet spot in nature somewhere where it's just kind of like decompress and, you know, get some fresh air and lots of rest. But, you know, if everything was humming along and life was just low stress and all of that type of stuff, you know, the sadistic side of me now probably would teleport to some exciting and bustling place in the world where, you know, major change was happening and some hard problems were being solved because that's kind of the stuff that I guess you could say gets me high these days is, you know, getting into the weeds on hard problems, especially around technology and people, kind of the crossroads between those two. Excellent. So would you consider yourself someone who's always been extremely interested in problem solving? Yeah. You know, and I wasn't conscious of that for much of my life, but I definitely think so. I'm a tinkerer at heart. I love tinkering with things and especially my dad was in tech and he had a tech company in the nineties. Oh, wow. And there was a lot of ups and downs and trials and tribulations associated with that. But I was watching it as a kid and, you know, he helped me build my first computer when I was like six years old. And cool. So I've always been a tinkerer and like witnessed him solving lots of cool technical problems and been drawn to that. Mm. So yeah, I guess the answer is yes. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think with that, I would imagine you have a high level of curiosity. Are you always just curious? And the more you find out, the more curious you get. Does that sort of ring a bell? Yeah, totally. Yep. Yeah. My parents, they didn't have a big plan raising us. I mean, maybe they would disagree, but (laughs) yeah. If they're listening, you definitely did. I know. 
Yeah, yeah, you did. You did. Thanks, mom and dad. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the things that they really did instill in us kids were love of family and love of learning. Those were two really things that they really agreed upon and yeah. uh, shared. Very cool. No, I think it's so important for everybody to keep learning, right? We lifelong learners, it's, you know, it sounds cliche, but the ones who do and who just have that sense of curiosity and who keep digging and trying to figure things out because, it, like, I mean, life evolves so fast technology, especially exponentially and only exponentially gets, you know, evolves faster and faster. And so there's just, there's always so much more to learn. And it's interesting because when my father retired, he slowed down mentally and physically. And that's when I saw like serious deterioration in his health. And it was, I think, because he just wasn't problem solving. He wasn't dealing with complex situations that he had to, you know, use a lot of like conscious energy to solve and keep the juices flowing. And it was just like very crazy. And so like ever since then, I'm like, I got to just keep the mind going, you know, keep myself active and really take that stuff serious. So yeah, I think, you know, again, big shout out to your parents. Obviously they instilled some serious values that I'm sure led you to where you're at today. So let's get a little bit into your background. So you said you're originally from Houston. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. And then what part of Houston did you grow up in? All over. Ah, yeah. okay. So Sometimes people ask if I was in like the military or something, but coming back to those family roots as we moved all over the place constantly, but I ended up going to high school up in Kingwood and, ah, okay. and then I went to Texas A&M for college. Gotcha. Why Texas A&M? It's good school and it was nearby and I got in and, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was oriented towards engineering. So I ended up starting in computer science there and then finishing out in IT and very cool. Yep. So, yeah. Okay. And then you went on to work for Marathon after graduating? Correct. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I interned there after junior year and then studied abroad actually, and then came back and went full-time at Marathon. Interesting. So you set out, so I mean, cause you said your dad owned a tech company, you're six years old, you build a computer, you go to college, obviously for, you know, computer related disciplines. So it's something, obviously technology has always been, you know, an interest of yours and within Marathon 2, it was IT and business and analysts. Is that right? Yep. I was a business analyst. And, you know, nowadays it may still be called that, but at least in my world, that's kind of more like a product manager in a way. Ah. Now that I'm kind of more on just in the pure tech side of things. But mm -hmm. yeah, basically I worked on SAP, which we could get into, <laughs> which I'm sure many of the listeners have opinions about that. But <laughs> what's your opinion about it? <laughs> About SAP specifically? Yeah. So I think they're a fascinating company to learn from. And an example of, depending on how you operate your business, you can have different ways of having a brand that can scale. Mm. And it doesn't always have to revolve around the best user experience. Okay. <laughs> I like the way you put that. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah, so. good. Well, that's interesting. And so within your years. And I was looking at their LinkedIn, but you spent, you know, a fair amount of time at Marathon. And then, you know, obviously with being very interested in human performance, biomarkers, health, was that something that you transitioned into because you stumbled upon that? Or, or can you perhaps explain where your love of, I mean, essentially quantifying our bodies, where does that come from? I mean, it ties into tech, but not all tech people enjoy that stuff. So I'm curious where the connection is there. Yeah, it's an interesting collision of just experiences I've had. But, you know, basically 
working in oil and gas exposed me to, and so specifically I was in serving the reliability engineering organization from the IT perspective. So we were looking at plant maintenance and kind of doing reactive, preventive, and predictive maintenance on all the equipment out in the field. And mm-hmm. I was mostly, my personally was focused more on onshore assets. So there was others in my group that focused more on offshore, but we were doing SAP PM and, you know, coming up with better ways to basically maintain and improve the health of the equipment out in the field and all the facilities and things. Yeah. And so whether that was kind of establishing more routine maintenance, kind of preventive maintenance, or starting to get into like sensor-driven predictive maintenance and stuff like that. There's a lot of data analysis involved, a lot of, you know, collection of data from different points and distilling that into sort of decision support systems that allowed operators and technicians and maintenance folks out in the field make better decisions, as well as rolling that all up to sort of the decision makers and, you know, forgive the term, the ivory tower. But so this is relevant to health and fitness in a way for interesting reasons, because it taught me a lot about the value of data and the different ways that you can collect it and Mm. the immense value that you can create when you're not reactive about maintaining something that's valuable. Right. Ah. And so what's more valuable than your own body, right? You know, people will, maybe go on a little soapbox for a second and go for it. will work really hard their whole careers and destroy their health, but save up a lot of money only to spend it all on healthcare when they retire. <laughs> and so a little bit of preventive maintenance can go a long way for both, you know, this million or billions of dollars worth of equipment out in the field, yeah. as well as the only body that you get in your life. And so that was kind of something that I was And the way I ended up bridging it towards health and wellness and fitness and looking at the body was that around the same time after I graduated from college, I was starting to struggle a little bit more with my own fitness and my own health. And I feel grateful that it never really got to a terrible point, but it was kind of a competitive athlete growing up. And just over the years, it started to become harder and harder to stay in shape and get in shape. And at the same time, I was realizing that there was a ton of health issues in my family. And a lot of the top 10 health killers are within like one person of me and my family. So Mm. cancer and diabetes and autoimmune conditions and a lot of these different things, obesity and things like that are, are very rampant in my family. Mm. And so I was kind of constantly on my radar that, you know, this is something that is painful and something I don't want to experience and something I wish I could help more with. Yeah. And during that kind of period, I ended up getting a lot into the weeds of my own research on that subject. And just the type of person that I am is I naturally go start networking. And so I start reaching out to, you know, gurus on nutrition or exercise or whatever, and just kind of interacting with them Yeah. and ended up going and getting, I like to learn through teaching as well, okay. which just kind of helps me focus and learn faster. So I ended up getting certified as a health and fitness coach and did a little coaching on the side, really just for fun. So I could help people and learn more. And at one point I was like, oh, maybe I'll open a gym someday or something like that. But ended up colliding with technology when I discovered this research on heart rate variability, which 
we can get way off into the weeds on this biomarker called HRV. Yeah. But the long story short is that I was super fascinated that there's essentially this biomarker that's like a check engine light for mm. your body. Yes. And it wasn't very accessible to anybody at the time when I started reading the research on it. It was like something that was very expensive and complicated for you to measure. Right. But the research was showing like, it's just, it's like a check engine light. You can kind of tell, are things going well? Are things not going well by measuring this one thing about your body? So, mm. you know, if anyone has ever maintained a car, that check engine light can be pretty valuable, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. I better get into the shop. Yeah. Yep. Huh. Okay. So again, I'm trying to keep this on the tracks because I could easily dive into something that would just probably be a buzzkill for most, but from an educational perspective, let's start there. So HRV, heart rate variability, how would you describe heart rate, which is obviously very high level. And then what is heart rate variability? And then we can talk perhaps about why that's something that's important and how that ties into Essentially, I like to call it almost like a readiness. Now you may have a different sort of analogy on it there, but yeah, let's define heart rate and heart rate variability, 30,000 foot view, and then we can go into some further detail. Yeah. So basically, you know, heart rate variability, you got those three words, right? The first two are heart rate. So clearly there's a tie to heart rate. Most people know heart rate as like beats per minute, right? So like if you're exercising, you know, you get your heart rate up over a hundred beats per minute or something like that. You know, when you're resting, your heart rate's going to be a little bit lower, right? And for easy math, let's just say your resting heart rate was like 60 beats per minute. That would usually mean that's one beat per second. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's most people's relationship with heart rate is, and that's totally a useful marker for, you know, lots of things. It's something that humans have been measuring for millennia, but when you, with the advance of kind of modern technology and sensor technology, we actually were able to discover that there's these tiny variations between each heartbeat. And that's the variability that we're talking about in HRV. So it's not actually one beat per second, like a metronome. It's actually like, maybe there's like 1,102 milliseconds between this beat and the next. And the next one is like 936 milliseconds. Right. And so I'm getting a little into the weeds here, but what I'm trying to illustrate is there's these tiny beat to beat variations and when those beats occur. Okay. And it's not just a metronome. And so using signal processing and now machine learning and data science and different things like that, we can actually detect specific patterns in those beat to beat variations. And those patterns actually show us what's going on inside the body a little bit more deeply. Gotcha. And so the reason for that, again, kind of trying not to go too far in the weeds too fast. The reason for that though, is because different systems of the body are communicating to your heart all the time. So that like when you exercise, your heart rate increases, right? If you tried to exercise and your heart rate didn't increase, you would pass out or you would, you know, not be able to lift that heavy thing or not be able to run or something like that. So your body has to communicate to the heart to increase your heart rate for responding to that kind of stressful event, which is exercise. Right. And so the nervous system, the respiratory system, your blood pressure, all of these things actually are constantly changing your heart rate every single beat. 
that's kind of the interesting and technical reason why if we measure HRV, we can reverse engineer what's going on with the rest of the body from in these different systems. Fascinating. Okay. And I've read on it quite a bit and that really gives a very good overview of what it is. And it's interesting because I've always wondered to me, common sense says you want the, you know, very consistent heart rates with no variability, but the greater the variability is actually better, right? Because higher the number, better, lower the number, not so good. Again, speaking very generally, why is it that a more variable heart rate or, you know, like we were speaking, how is that better versus like something that's more just consistent that doesn't sort of vary? Yeah. It's almost an interesting opposite of what would be intuitive, right? Yeah. And especially if you come like I have from a field of like where you're monitoring rotating equipment out in the field and, you know, things like that, you don't want vibrations to be variable, you know, you kind of want things to be consistent. You want temperatures to be consistent on your equipment and all of that type of stuff. Interestingly, when you're monitoring a biological system like the body, variability is a natural occurrence. And one reason that variability of heart rate is a good thing is because I'll tell a quick story about why it's a good thing. So when you've got all these systems kind of pushing and pulling on the heart to say, speed up, slow down, speed up, slow down, you know, your digestion, your sexual function, your body temperature regulation, your blood sugar, blood pressure, all of these things actually influence your heart rate. So there's a lot of different systems at play here. When your body is under stress though, that stress overrides all of that. And so basically the nervous system has this thing called the fight or flight response to stress, right? And, you know, when we look at our ancestors, that would be because somebody popped out and was going to stab you with a spear or something like that, right? So immediately your heart rate shoots up, your blood pressure goes up, your pupils dilate, your blood sugar increases so that you can respond in that moment to that stress. And one other thing that happens is your heart rate gets very consistent. And so if you think about that, in order to respond to stress, your body needs to deliver blood and oxygen and resources everywhere in the body at a precise time with high efficiency. So your heart rate goes up and gets more consistent. And then let's say that you defeat the person who was trying to stab you or whatever, you run away and you go hide in a cave somewhere and you can finally relax. Your breathing rate will slow down. Your heart rate will slow down. And then all of those systems can kind of kick back on so you can recover and rest and digest. And actually, because of that, your heart rate gets more variable again. The body can kind of relax and say, look, we don't need to tightly control this because the threat is gone. We can relax. And now things can get a little bit more variable and fluid again. Okay. No, that's interesting because whenever I look at my heart rate, you know, whether it's through a period of exercise versus when I'm sleeping, when I'm sleeping, it looks like I'm all over the place. But when I'm working out, that's let's say like a consistent intensity, it's very consistent, the heart rate. And then, you know, nighttime, it's going to be down and then barely moving and then up. And then, you know what I mean? It's all over the place, but you just explained why, which is again, super interesting. So from going back to say, measuring the HRV, when did say doctors, coaches, performance enthusiasts first start paying attention to this? Like, has it been researched and sort of studied for a long, long time? Or is this, you know, sort of within the last 10 years? Because 
I mean, to me, I think, you know, it's gone mainstream maybe over the last like two years ish. And this not only says mainstream yet, but it's more mainstream. But yeah, when did folks start really paying attention? Yeah. So, you know, like it's been probably 50, 60 years that people have been measuring HRV a little bit more consistently. And I say consistent, but what I mean is that research like scientific labs and Olympic sports teams that have kind of you know, a lot of incentive to spend money and get things right to improve performance or things like that have been measuring HRV in a lab setting, Mm. but you're absolutely right. It's only been the last few years that it's become something that has come onto the radar of more people and is now being baked into more consumer-friendly devices and stuff like that. And, you know, really like people don't measure stuff just because they're like, I just love heart rate variability. I was born loving HRV (laughs) and people only measure stuff when it's valuable to measure it, right? So that you can make decisions off of it. That was another big lesson that I learned in the oil and gas industry was like, we would go out to the field and be like, guess what, everybody? So exciting. We're going to roll out SAP PM and we're going to start measuring all this stuff about the equipment. And, you know, people are kind of like, okay, sounds, you know, good, but what value are we going to get out of that? Like, how's that going to help me do better, you know, do better at my job or save the company money or whatever it is. And the same thing on the health and wellness and biomarker side of things. So research showed about 50, 60 years ago that by measuring these beat to beat variations, even though the equipment was a lot less precise back then, you could start predicting things like medical trauma, like cardiovascular events, for example, like heart attacks, you could start predicting these things. Right. You could also start to measure things like stress on the body from either exercise or other things. And so it was very much like a deep medical, like acute trauma kind of measurement at first. And then it was actually top professional sports that started bringing it out of the medical arena into like, oh, wow, this can be performance enhancing if we monitor signals from the body like HRV and make adjustments to training and recovery and all those things. So then over the decades, those kind of more extreme use cases started trickling into more kind of the rest of us and people realizing that, oh, okay, like stress and inflammation are things that we should be paying attention to. And we can measure those things with HRV. And also just the general fitness goer who now has to juggle, you know, usually a job that's stressful. You've got your family and your friends and your relationships that you've got to balance financial stress and pile on top of that nutrition, you know, fitness and all these other things that we're trying to juggle, having something that you can measure that kind of guides you through all of that is just incredibly valuable. And anyways, I kind of got off in the weeds a little bit on that, but when I first came across it about 10 years ago now, there wasn't a lot of easy ways to measure it. Right. And it was still kind of was this like lab based biomarker. And around that time, some technological innovations like Bluetooth low energy were emerging that allowed us to bring it out of the lab and make it available to anyone essentially. Yes. Yes. And right before we got going here, you know, we talked, there's a handful of companies that 
I would say are pioneers in the consumer space. There's a few of them. And now obviously more, I think Apple's getting into it and Fitbit probably. Again, I've never had an Apple watch. So I don't know all the sort of deliverables it has or neither a Fitbit. But with that said, let's talk about your company and what it is that you're doing in the HRV space. I know you offer courses and I believe there's an app, but yeah, I'd love to hear sort of everything that you offer and how you're kind of taking, you know, HRV and people's performance to the next level. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. You know, so starting out, basically, it was kind of a selfish reason why I was getting into it is I was like, oh, this biomarker seems so cool. I was reading the research, you can improve all these things like your fitness, your physique, your mental clarity and all that stuff by kind of measuring this biomarker and making better decisions. I was like, I want to do that. And so I started my original partner and I were able to automate using software, some of the, what we were seeing in the research that HRV could do. And we just put it out there for free. That was it. And I went and spoke at some conferences about it and just said like, Hey, here's the research. Here's this new tool. We put it out there for free. Good luck. I hope it helps. And so we immediately started getting lots of people downloading the app. It was called Elite HRV. And we ended up like within months getting picked up by professional sports teams and a couple of scientific research labs, because previously they would have had to pay thousands of dollars and hire a team of like physiologists and statisticians to Hmm. measure and interpret all this data. And we had automated all that, put it in an app. So that was the original, I didn't even know kind of at the time, like what the potential was for doing that and put it out there and then have always had this kind of entrepreneurial streak in me. So as soon as we started getting a lot of kind of interest and feedback from customers, we decided to make a business out of it. Mm. And the long story short is we ended up going and building more algorithms on top of these biomarkers to kind of do a lot of the interpretation for you. You know, instead of having the user have to do a lot of their own scientific research, they can kind of follow some easier to use gauges and guides and things like that, that the app gives. You know, that's kind of a bit of the early Genesis story that led to us creating educational courses online where we were actually educating coaches and practitioners on how to monitor the body and make better decisions. We created our own medical grade sensor later on that made it easier to capture the data because previously you would have had to use a chest strap. So that means like you wrap a heart rate monitor around your chest Mm -hmm. and you got to kind of get it wet. And I think hats off to companies like Polar and Garmin and others that made that chest strap technology available, which is amazing but it's a little bit inconvenient to do first thing in the morning when you wake up. And so the user base kind of pushed us in the direction of making our own hardware. And more recently, we've been able to drop the hardware altogether and have the ability to use just the camera on your smartphone to actually accurately collect HRV data now. So you don't even need a device. We can get into how kind of the deep tech evolution of how that came to be. Yeah. Again, I'm super interested. And so, yeah, let's talk about that then. So, right, because right off the get, I'm thinking, okay, unless you have something that's constantly monitoring it, how does your camera... Okay, so I guess is it a snapshot sort of... Correct. ...view of your HRV? Because, okay, so yeah, explain deep tech and how that's evolved. I think that's fascinating. 
Yeah, 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 sure. So one, there's a major driving force for a lot of our innovation is how do we make this easier for people mm-hmm. and how do we make it more accessible to more people, yeah. right? And so that's been kind of a driving force of our entire evolution of our business and why we even started the business to begin with. And so over the years, that's meant getting the hardware to be easier and easier because, you know, if the sensor is expensive or hard to use, then it's going to be hard for people to really want to do it. Right. And they won't be able to get the value out of it. So at first that was making our own little finger clip sensor, which it's a medical grade. It looks like a pulse oximeter. Yeah. If people can imagine pulse oximeter at the doctor. It's very similar to that. And then we took that concept and went a step further and said, what if you could actually just put your fingertip on the camera of your phone yeah. and the light coming through your finger shining into your phone camera will do the same thing as similar to that pulse oximeter and give you these tiny variations in blood flow in the tip of your finger. What? And the challenge we found is that it was really hard to get an accurate signal that way. But because we had built up a user base of 700,000 people that were using validated medical grade sensors and their smartphones, we were able to incentivize them to participate in research with us and wow. measure both of them simultaneously. And so then we were collecting a massive data set of training data. This is kind of getting to the weeds on the tech side where we're able to use machine learning to increase the accuracy of the detection using that camera by training it against these medical grade validated sensors. And so, yeah, that's kind of that deep tech evolution there. And the cool thing is, is uh, there's a, a roadmap that isn't, this is the first time we're really speaking publicly about this. So this is congratulations, I guess yeah. you could say, but also exciting for me to share it. And yes, it's very accurate. And we're excited to be releasing that right now to the public. You know, in parallel with that, we've also evolved our business model quite a bit. So at first it was just this free app. Then we created these digital courses. Then we created sensors that we were selling. People are like, oh, well, what will happen if you come out with this camera tech, you're not going to be able to sell your sensors anymore because, you know, then people will already have the sensor in their pocket, right? Sure. And this is one of those interesting entrepreneurial conundrums because it's like, well, if I don't cannibalize my own product, then somebody else might, right? And so we actually ended up deciding to take that leap and go towards the camera instead of continuing to sell our own sensor. Mm. And so we still support our sensor, but we're migrating everything to the camera right now. And you had a really great question in there, which was, is this just a snapshot? Like, how does it monitor you 24 seven, right? Because you're obviously not like touching your camera 24 seven on your phone. And interestingly, in the early days of our business, we decided to go in a different direction than wearables. And we thought very hard about creating our own wearable. And I think wearables are awesome and that there's a really cool evolution happening in wearables right now. But we decided at the time to see how little data can we collect and still get a lot of value for the end user. And so essentially what we ended up developing was some IP around this morning check-in. 
So you just wake up, do a one minute scan. It takes 60 seconds and we measure your HRV during that 60 seconds. And that's the entire data collection for most people for the whole day. Wow. And we're able to extract a ton of value out of that. And we've developed a lot of IP around doing that, which was part of our differentiator in the market as well. Interesting. So have you obviously tested it against other wearables like say Whoop or Aura or whoever else is delivering data? I mean, is it very similar? Because obviously that's the one thing is like, oh, well, I wonder if, you know, if I wake up, my HRV says 120, you know, would it be, I mean, is it, I'm sure you've done the research and done the lab work and the test to compare accuracy, which, you know, it is obviously. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, that's kind of where our bread and butter has been and where we've kind of stayed in the weeds and close to the research on accuracy and quality. You know, I feel grateful that we've been able to partner with over, I think like 117 universities and research institutions that use our tools and have validated our toolkit. And so, you know, quality and accuracy are very important to us Mm -hmm. and like similar for the same reasons why it was in oil and gas. Like if you make mistakes with really expensive equipment, it's expensive and dangerous in some cases, you know, and so same with your health and your fitness, we want to be very accurate. And so that was where we spent a lot of our early R&D effort was around trying to get accuracy and quality out of a short snapshot that was using fairly inexpensive equipment. And that's why all these kind of universities and research groups picked us up was because it was so much cheaper and more automated, but still gave them the accuracy they were looking for for their research. Interesting. Okay. So the current wearables that deliver HRV, is that HRV a composite of the HRV during my rest, like during sleep, or is it only when I wake up and it like, let's just say I'm going to compare it to whoop and hopefully you don't mind, but like, does whoop calculate it when I wake up or how does it do its thing? Do you know? Yeah. So, you know, different companies have their own kind of secret sauce or whatever behind the scenes of how they do things. But a lot of the wearable companies like whoop and aura ring, for example, will measure it primarily at night when you're asleep. Okay. And they'll sample usually when you're not moving. So a lot of times that'll be kind of during deep sleep, for example, when you're still, because these types of sensors are very sensitive to movement and noise in the signal. So you can't really measure it accurately at the wrist, for example, when you're moving around a bunch. And so during the day, it's usually not feasible, definitely not during exercise in the current tech landscape. And, you know, so sleep is the best time. So anyways, they kind of get, you know, I don't know the exact sampling rates and things like that, but usually they'll take like snapshots during various periods of the night and kind of look at those and either average them out or do some sort of machine learning or something to kind of find where the right signal is. Okay. And then kind of conversely, you know, some people on our platform also use wearables to collect the data like overnight and things like that. I guess I forgot to mention that we're also device agnostic. So what that means is basically uh, it's kind of different than a lot of companies. We're willing to accept data from many types of devices. And again, it's part of that mission of just making this more accessible to more people. Very cool. So we don't restrict anyone to using just our device or anything. They can use any compatible device that 
has the accurate signal. Okay. So the some cases that's an overnight wearable and other cases that's, you know, our little finger clip. And now it's also the smartphone camera. So you can kind of just wake up, do a 60 second scan and, you know, there's pros and cons to the two models, but one nice thing about doing it that way is that it's a very consistent environment for you to measure in. That's what partially allows us to take so little data in and still get value out of it is you can just sit there in your same body position each morning and it's a relatively same time of the day. So we have a lot of consistency in that data coming in that allows us to compare those values over time. Yeah. So with the camera, is there a certain model? Because obviously the older phones probably aren't able to do that, but is there sort of a cutoff for you guys or like, where's your boundaries with regards to like which phones, what models or like after what year, you know what I mean? Cause I'm sure people are like, Oh, I want to get it, but I don't know if my phone will be compatible. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, it's a good question. So luckily, you know, thanks to TikTok and Snapchat and all of these companies is that camera hardware is pretty amazing on these right. phones. And so the hardware is actually usually not the limiting factor for most people. So okay. most modern smartphones are compatible with it. And, you know, really it's a signal to noise ratio problem. And so it's less about the camera hardware as it is that you just have the light on in your room or you're not doing jumping jacks while you're trying to measure it. You know, okay. so if you're just sitting still briefly and there's light in your room or you can even use the flash on your phone camera, then those things cover your bases. And it's really quite easy, which is amazing. And that's yeah. part of the goal. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's one of those, it's like, wow, that seems too good to be true. But I mean, you can tell just by your story and all the work you guys have put into this, like it's the real deal, which is, again, I'm excited to try it after we're done here. So to tie it back into you know, oil and gas and, and folks out and about working, why would just your average person, and you've touched on it a little bit is like, you know, to improve and perhaps to prevent if your HRV is dropping and, you know, you could be getting sick or you, you could be facing something that you don't necessarily have symptoms yet for. Again, that could be a whole nother podcast, but I'm curious, like, where's the value add for someone who's like, I don't really care about wearables, this and that, but yeah, I'd check myself once a day to see, you know, and perhaps like if someone's out in the field working, how do you see what you're doing sort of tie into the workforce and help people ultimately be better at their job? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we've covered a lot of ground on like high level science and kind of tech evolution. So hats off to anyone that's still listening at this point to me. <laughs> yeah. This is where it gets juicy and fun. Right. And I think that ultimately people want to do kind of three things. They want to look better. They want to feel better and they want to perform better. Right. And so whether that's just, you know, sports or life or business or your job or your relationships or whatever, you want to look, feel and perform better. And that's usually what drives people towards making some sort of change with their health or fitness or wellness. It's also the value of measuring stuff about your body. It helps you do those things better. 
And that's where kind of HRV comes in. So, you know, HRV being that general check engine light for your body means it's kind of one thing that you can measure and it shows you kind of a comprehensive view of what's going on with you. Mm -hmm. And so if you're working long hours and there's a lot of stress and you need to have good mental focus to do your job well and or avoid getting hurt, for example, then it's important to monitor kind of your fatigue and your stress levels. And HRV can do that for you. So ah, okay. a quick snapshot check-in when you wake up in the morning can give you a quick gut check on how depleted am I? Like, am I at full capacity today? I can feel like I can go out and like, you know, tackle my goals pretty optimistically, or should I really prioritize taking extra breaks or, you know, maybe not like if you're going to work in exercise on top of a busy work schedule, you maybe don't want to go hit the CrossFit workout today, or maybe you want to do like half volume or replace it with some stretching or mobility instead today, you know, sure. something like that. Similarly, you can start to learn a lot about how your behavior impacts your body over time. So, you know, caffeine and alcohol are two things that a lot of people interact with regularly and, you know, caffeine to kind of get going through the day and alcohol to calm down in the evening is sort of a routine that a lot of people gravitate towards to different degrees, right? Sure. And monitoring things like HRV about your body can help you kind of find the line of, you know, going a little too far with those things. And so I don't like to tell people that there's one solution that everyone should follow. There's no such thing as cookie cutter guidance that works in my opinion. Everything's very individual to your circumstances and your needs. So if you need caffeine to get going in the morning, I'm not going to tell you no caffeine. I'm just going to say, if you monitor stuff about your body, like HRV, you might be able to find kind of a happy medium where it's like two cups instead of five cups you can get some of the benefit with not as much of the downside, something like that. Yeah. And I think you really summed it up nicely is it's, we want to feel better. We want to look better. And I think it was, we want to perform better. Or, yep. Yeah. And ultimately, yeah, if, it was interesting. I made a post on LinkedIn maybe last week, but you know, I said, everyone spent so much effort measuring KPIs within their business. And so I put it out there, I said, what kind of KPIs do you measure within your own body? And I used the example of HRV, resting heart rate, you know, just some of the very high level ones. And to me, those are KPIs for me. And I'm always trying to improve them and say, okay, if I, you know, do this two hours before bed, how does this impact my, you know, KPI for the night? And, you know, again, it's just something that I've tied together and, and people, you know, it was really interesting engagement people. Oh, I never really thought of like, you know, our own personal KPIs. And that's, you know, more on like a physical level, but again, I think it's important. And, you know, again, you can't improve what you can't measure. Right. And that's the old saying. So I just think it's fascinating that you and companies like yourselves are taking this on and, and really forging ahead and creating the next evolution of really just giving ourselves, you know, data to look into and yeah, just measure how we're performing. Cause really, you know, until really recently it's been hard. I mean, you kind of go off of how you feel symptom wise, but I think with the level of stress we put on ourselves and because humans are so adaptable, we don't realize how 
for lack of a better word, shitty we feel until we actually look at the data. And it's like, wow, I, I didn't realize that I don't sleep and my blood pressure is high and my blood sugar is constantly elevated all day. I just, you know, over time, because it's these little incremental things that we do that lead us into this state of just kind of crappy feeling. But then it's like, no, you're not really supposed to feel like that. And then, you know, someone sort of measures things, gets a little better sleep, maybe eats a little healthier. And they're like, wow, I didn't realize I didn't need so much caffeine or wow, I didn't realize how good I really feel and how crappy I felt before. And it all ties together. And at the end of the day, if you're, you know, creating a career for yourself, you want to be a high performing individual, you know, it's kind of like feeding a Ferrari good fuel. I mean, you got to keep everything dialed in. And so it sounds like, you know, that's just part of your guys' mission and making sure everyone feels good, looks good and can perform. And ultimately, I think what it comes down to and just kind of on the health perspective is like, you know, if we can prevent just through monitoring these things, being healthier, it can ultimately save a lot on financially because yeah, like you said, if you work hard and you damage your soul and health in the process, you spend the rest of your life spending all that hard-earned money on healthcare, you know, you could do these little things to help and hopefully save some of that hard-earned money to do the things you really enjoy. So again, super fascinating stuff. You know, we'll close out by just saying, you know, thanks so much. This has been fascinating. I feel like I could ask much more questions, but again, I think to sum things up here, it's you've created some fascinating technology. I would encourage everyone to download. What we'll do is Jason, we'll put the link in the show notes for your website, your LinkedIn. And yeah, I just encourage everyone to check it out. Google HRV. I'm sure, you know, the website probably has some good information, but you know, more and more people that I talk to, even in oil and gas are starting to measure this kind of stuff. And so there's a great option out there. I encourage everyone to check it out. Jason, do you have any closing last words or anything off the top of your head that you want to relay to everybody listening? Yeah, I appreciate it, Justin. And, you know, there's a lot near and dear to my heart in the oil and gas and energy industry. And I learned a ton from working in it, you know, hands-on about dealing with complex systems and high risk and, you know, high capital environments. And, you know, it's interesting kind of stat is that consumers spend trillions of dollars every single year on their health and fitness and wellness, trillions And there's a lot of forecasts that's showing that that's going to be shifting away from healthcare, which is kind of more reactive maintenance into the more preventive and predictive side of it, of fitness and wellness. And so, you know, now's the time to be thinking about that stuff. And the last kind of closing thought on that is that if you're only measuring things like once a year or things like that, it's hard to really make the right changes and adjustments You really kind of need to be measuring things like daily to be able to make those tweaks and see those patterns emerge. It doesn't have to be hard, but checking in regularly goes a long way. So, you know, that's something I've learned and something that kind of drove me in this direction, but perfect. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) Well, one last question I have, and I want to leave everyone with a good nugget. What's the easiest low hanging fruit way to increase your HRV? If people are just getting started They're like, well, how do I get this better? I don't know what to do. What's the easiest piece of advice? Yeah. So it actually ends up being stress management. And in the moment, one of the easiest things you can do to actually reset your nervous system is to control your breathing. Mm. And so, you know, without going too far into the weeds there is that when we have stress all day at work and then, you know, commuting and all these other things that we have to do, we tend to shallow breathe and chest breathe. 
And if you can just take a moment to slow down that breathing and like breathe a little bit more into your belly, your diaphragm and stuff like that, that that actually has a real physiological response that you can measure in real time with HRV that shows your nervous system calming down and your HRV going up usually. Ah. And it has a lasting effect if you do it regularly and it can actually improve mental performance immediately as well. So leaving one random anecdote with you is that people with higher HRV, there was a study looking at day traders that were doing financial trading and the ones that were able to maintain higher HRV actually had higher profit and loss numbers on day trading. And like that, there you go. Translate HRV and breathing right into your profits and losses. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Jason. Awesome. Thank you so much again for everyone out there. Please again, visit the links in the show notes and thanks again for joining me. What's the best way for people to reach out? I mean, you know, you're on LinkedIn, but are there any other social platforms that you'd like to relay? And again, I can put the link in the show notes, but are you active anywhere else? LinkedIn's a great spot. You know, you can also reach out to our team. We're a very friendly team on elitehrv.com and you can contact us there. You know, we respond to every request that we get from everyone. And so, yeah, I would be happy to hear from folks. Awesome. Well, the best of luck to you and the rest of the Elite HRV team. And for everyone out there, always remember when the density is up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.